For your nooner with Dooner on this lovely Friday. How y'all doing out there? My back's a little sore. My boys have caught the baseball bug. So I got the baseball bug, you know, taking to the batting cage. They're going to start up Little League in the fall. Got a new bat coming in the mail today. It's bad, man. It's bad. It's bad. But you know what? You got to work through it. You got to work through it and make it happen. I got to start you off with some bad news today. So I'm trying to bring you in softly. Softly right here. Craig Fuller, he tweeted this out. It says, truckload contract rates are collapsing down. Can you show this? Truckload contract rates are collapsing down to $239 a mile from $296 a year ago. Uh, rates, net of fuel. Contract rates will continue to fall for the next few months as the spread between contract and spot are still near record highs. That's $0.85 cents a mile. My guess is contract rates settle around $2 a mile or 20% lower than where they were today. A lot of mid-sized truckload carriers are going to struggle as a large percent of the freight they handle are under contract rate agreements, as cheaper contract rates go into effect, it will severely cripple their cash flow. The good news is that we need this capitulation to happen in order to find a bottom. You can see those rates right over there. Bill Packets, he weighed in on this. He says, the way bids are going, quotes so low, you cannot believe the rates you're putting on paper and then hope that in one to two months you don't lose money on them. And if they are too low, then you're exactly like every single competitor out there. It's getting bloody, not just uh, not just with truckloads, too, on ocean as well. We mentioned last show those contract rates were down. I believe it was twenty seven point five percent on ocean. A lot of charters out there. A lot going on there. Maybe we'll touch on ocean a little bit more next week. But guys, coming up. Tomorrow, big race, man. I get to kick Charles Gracie from Hot Seat Services' ass. Take a look at this. We're going down in NASCAR. Chris Gonzalez, play that video. Chris Gonzalez says, say what? Saturday, June 3rd, Charles Gracie, Dooner, Cody Bolock, and Chris Gonzalez battle it out at the Atlanta Motor Speedway together with NASCAR Racing Experience and Mario Andretti Racing. My back will be fine by then, Charles. My back will be fine. We're going to find out who's the king of the track, man going to be me (laughs) on deck today we've got i'm talking to finn park's new coo it's anthony pettit we're talking about the truck parking problem plaguing america pettit you may know he's a truck parking solutions veteran he built truck park he exited in 2021 we're going to find out if freight tech can help solve truck parking what they got on lock and what's going to happen with it he'll be up in just a second here we're going to go in the belly of the air cargo beast with courier networks thomas funkhauser hey he's a former marine so funkhauser he knows how to get freight into hard-to-reach places, so we're going to have a good time with him. And then we got Doritos Enthusiast and 828 Consultant Owner Casey Jankin. She's going to drop by to talk about Frito-Lay supply chain. She's got a ton of experience in that space, having worked for Post before. Um, she also does a great thing on LinkedIn. She explains supply chain concepts in two minutes or less. We're talking about the power of being succinct. We also got cars going dukes of hazard. AV driver's bad behavior. Why self-help books don't prevent accidents. Trucking with parrots, and a whole lot more. But let's bring up Anthony Pettit right now. He's the COO, head of truck parking North America. At you announce it, man. You say it. You put this out yesterday. This is. I'll just give you the cowbell. Hey, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I'm uh, super excited to be here, and I'm super excited to be back in truck parking. So yeah, yesterday we went out. We went live. 
I'm chief operating officer at a company, um, B-Hub, I see on the screen, it's also it's called Finn Park, it's a sister company based out of uh, Montreal, Canada. Wow, so what's the mission behind this? I mean, you, this isn't your first rodeo with parking. You did truck park, you were done with it, you exited, you were living on a beach somewhere. No, you weren't, you were hanging out with Mustafa over at Zoom. That is true, I was. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been honestly a roller coaster. And uh, I, I can tell everybody that, you know, it was, I don't know if it was too early to sell a truck park, but I can definitely say that it, it, there was a piece of me that was left behind, right? Like I started truck park because of my late uncle, Sammy, when he passed away, I wanted to continue with his legacy. It was a great opportunity to exit, but I knew I had to go back. So I spent a year um, with my non-compete actually um, going on in the background. I spent a year with Mustafa and had a, a wonderful time. I actually learned so much of the industry that I didn't know about. And then having gone back to uh, parking, I feel like I'm back home. What did you learn with Truck Park? Because you founded that. It was your baby. You exited. You said, I don't think I exited too soon, but I think that there's more to be done in Truck Park. And let's dive, let's dive into that a little bit before we get into this new gig, because I bet there's a story there. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned, you know, I learned about truck drivers. Like, honestly, um, before, or I should say prior to Truck Park, I, I wasn't really even involved in transportation or logistics. And having my... I haven't heard the stories from my uncle on how hard truck parking was. And he was talking about stories that predates like 1975, right? Like years and years ago. So it's like parking has literally been an issue from the seventies to now we're talking about four or five decades. So this is something that I've always wanted to hone in on. I've always wanted to, um, you know, focus on right when he actually had pretty much told me all these pain points. And then when I started talking about, you know, going to market and actually building up an app and going scalable started to having more conversations with drivers. And they were saying the same thing. It was like, Hey, you know what, what is your biggest pain point while you're, you're on the road and it's always truck parking. So I learned that and I learned that drivers are, yes, there are un unsung heroes and we do all this marketing and we, we talk about them, but they don't really get the value that they deserve. Right. So I wanted to create a business that, um, that focused on that focused on the drivers, right? That created a better experience for them. So, is Finn Park? Is this so? This new gig is this a a new spinoff out of out of Finlock, out of the V Hub team? How does this work? I bring bring me into this new world. Yeah, of course. So, Finn, at Finn Park is actually a sister company of V Hub. So, V Hub, as everybody may or may not know, is trailer trailer repositioning rental to business, and then. Above them is the parent company, which is called Finlock. And Finlock is a, uh, basically they deal with the, the equipment financing for, for trailers. Their parent company is actually Manac Trailers. That's a, based in Missouri. So you have all these companies, right, that funnels into to Fin Park. And Fin Park will encompass essentially the, the truck parking, the container storage. And, and like you said, I mean, it's going to be almost a, uh, like looking in the mirror all over again, right? A reflection of what I built it. Uh, seven years ago. So what is different about Finn Park or, or what would you do differently? What did you learn from Truck Park that, let's not be negative first, let's start with what worked. What worked at Truck Park? Um, say, say, say it again one more time, I'm sorry. Like what worked? What are you taking from your experience with Truck Park and bringing here? What are you, what, what's in your DNA now? Yeah, I mean, of course I've learned a lot, right? Like there's, as a business owner, you... Client, I, I 
kind of used the metaphor before the, the roller coaster, right? So you, you kind of start off as getting on a ride when you first get it and you're like very excited. And then you immediately take a drop and you're just like, okay, how do I, how do, I do this? And what I've learned, I guess that the, the biggest, you know, pain point for, for, for truck park was that, you know, we, 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 we went live too soon. We didn't really focus on the technology. We, we had good technology, but we were kind of like playing around in the sandbox and trying to figure out what was good and what was not good. And that's pretty typical for any startup that, that is. But for me, I would like to go back and, and I've already been doing it. We've been working, they've been working, I should say, on the technology for a long time. They recently just brought me on. So I'm like trying to get a hold of what's going on. And um, now that I can kind of see what's going on in the back end, my goal is to spend some time, like maybe in the next two months, really focus in and, and how we can perfect this and make this what Truck Park actually was right before we sold. What's the mission now? What's the, what's the mission for you? What are you what are you setting out to do here now that you're at Fin Park? Just create a better experience for the drivers. I, I think that you know, having talked to people in the space, friends, family in this industry, that the parking industry there it, it's such a such a big one, right? So there's tons of market share out there. I don't think anybody's really cracked the code. I don't think anybody's really solved it yet. Uh, I don't think I even solved it. I think I had 20% of market share and and then you had Lance Theobald over at Securespace that had 20% and still there was probably about 60% out there that was untapped. So there's still a large untapped market that's out there. My goal is to tap into that market. How can I take over? How can I finally crack the code here? And I think by starting fresh over again, but with the knowledge I had from building Truck Park, I think it could be very dangerous in this market. I can make a big impact for drivers. Yeah, well, how, how does it work? What is that driver experience? You've mentioned them numerous times. So how do they interface with all this? Drivers, because they're always searching for parking. I mean, it's, you can take, uh, I think it's uh, 94% of drivers are searching for parking on a daily basis. And 78% of drivers are uh, spending an hour or more just trying to find parking. So you're taking this huge need, which could essentially be like a, a tentacle to so many other factors in the industry you know, trying to solve for driver retention and trying to solve for maybe the shortage. We don't have to get all the politics side of it, but whatever it is, I think that there's, there's a bigger picture than just, okay, you know, we're going to be a marketplace that connects the owner operator of the parking lot to the truck driver. We can solve so many other factors for the driver when they're over the road. We can solve you know, if they're, whether they're in the spot market or it's, it's more contract related, so they have dedicated lanes, we could actually show these drivers, these carriers and whoever else is involved where exactly they need to park based on their behaviors, right? We can aggregate a lot of data and say, okay, well, you know, driver A is typically going to go to Kansas City and pick up this, this load and driver C is going to go to, to Dallas, Texas and pick up this load where we're going to recommend driver, driver A to the one that goes to Kansas City, we're going to recommend locations along the route. And then, of course, we'll see the same thing. So we want to play a bigger part of this. We want to, to, to build technology around the driver versus saying, okay, you know what? I think based on what I've read in a couple of publications that this is what the driver needs. We want the driver to be the, the focal point, if that makes sense.
So how do you know what the driver needs? And part of your, your R&D as you're, as you're researching this and Truck Park, how much time are you spending going out into the field and talking to drivers and, and understanding their experience and their frustrations? You know, I would humble myself and say not enough time. I think that's a, a very good point that you bring up. I, I definitely need to go out in the field and do what I did in the beginning. You know, I, when I was building Truck Park, if that's something that we did. We, we went to truck stops, we knocked on windows. I, I think I was maybe on um, with Dave Nemo show, um, what, is, what is Dave Nemo show? <laughs> it's been years, but um, what, what are those like, uh, you know, trucking podcasts. And um, I do remember just telling him, it's like, hey, I literally went to a door, I knocked on the trucker door, the guy like came out, he was like a little bit dazzled on what was going on. But like, I was able to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations Right. I was able to like to uh, actually find out what the driver exactly needed. And I want to do that again. And, and, and I, I want to go out there. And I, I don't when I say I go out there, I want to just not only meet with truck drivers and I also want to meet with the carriers. I want to meet with the brokers. I want to meet with the shippers because I think everybody has a play in this. I don't think Finn Park is necessarily niche to to carriers only. I think it encompasses all market segmentations. Now, we've all heard the stat, there's one parking space for every 11 truck drivers. How do we solve that? How do we improve that? Is that tech? Is that regulation? Is that getting rid of the, the NIMBYs who don't want truck parking lots near their locations? There seems to be a lot of barriers that keep parking from expanding all the way down from federal funding down to, like I just mentioned, communities. Yeah, you know, there's, um, first of all, it's a great question. There's there's a lot going on in this space. I mean, everybody seems to want to have a piece of it. Everybody seems to want to come in at the same time, which is super interesting to me. I mean, built being the kind of the first generation, if you want to call it that, in truck parking, now the second generation is much larger. <laughs> you have all these you know, regulations from the government and the government at the same time, it's like, okay, we're going to impose, you know, you, you have to drive a certain time, which I actually do agree with. Um, most of that because, you know, you don't want to be on the road 15, 16 hours and you're exhausted. That's just going to cause, you know, um, that's going to increase liability. Um, but you, you have these imposed restrictions and regulations, but at the same time, government's like, okay, now we got to get serious. How do we, um, how, how do we create more spaces for the drivers? And so, you know, everybody's read the article that, you know, Congress had passed that states have to get serious about it now. So there's a lot going in all of this, and I think we're at a really good time. And I'm really, I'm really excited to to kind of, I don't know, pick up the uh, pick up where I left off, if that if that's the best way to say it, and and really focus in how I can make a difference in in, in this uh, industry. You know, when I when I talk to our founder Craig Fuller, his his best stories are always his near death experiences or freight waves near death experiences. What was your biggest near death experience over at Truck Park? I think I had a lot. Um, you know, just, <laughs> I mean, crash and burn, it, it's, it's all part of, of being a, a founder, right? Like, I don't, I never really heard stories of people being like, well, I've been super successful out the yeah. gate because it just doesn't happen. You're, you're mostly going to fail. We failed so many times. Um, my gosh, like, I, I think in the, in the first year, we had one investor and be like knocking on our door all the time saying, okay, like what's going on? Are you guys going to you know produce revenue? Is this is this going to be like as big as it you know you think it's going to be? Is going to be like the next spot hero of of, uh, of trucks? Um, and, and I think the near death experience with Frost was like well, we don't really know. 
<laughs> so it's like, you know, like we, we don't really know how to do this. We're just trying to figure it out as we go. And I think that was like kind of, we didn't know at the time. And the investor was like really pissed, like, oh my gosh, like if you don't know what you're doing, why, why did they even do, you know, invest in this business? But uh, what was interesting is when we started figuring it out, it got easier. But I think that was kind of like kind of a, a, a big awakening for us because then we're like, okay, we really need to figure this out. We really need to um, not burn forever. Like we need to figure out how to like, you know, get out of this fire and, and, and actually make things happen. So I don't know if that even is what you're asking, but that's one of many situations that we dealt with. Now, you know, I, you bring up a good point there, and it's like when you're building something, you're growing anything. Um, from the outside, it's it's easier to sort of project, you know, the, the veneer of success. But behind the scenes, you're always looking at numbers, and, and success just means another number to KPI and beat. And it gets even harder when you have investors or bosses. What's more important in those times then? Investors that are challenging you or you just, just keeping it sane up there, keeping it cool, staying in it and realizing that this is all part of the process? It's all part of the process. Keep it level head. And to know that there's always going to be something on the other side, as long as you work, you, you, when you say, when I say you work, I should get more descriptive, but you, you have ambition, right? You're, you're going to do whatever it takes to get to that next level. And that's what we did. Like, we went through so much. Um, it's not even just crash and burn, but I mean, my partner and I, at one point we were like living off of food stamps because we were just trying to, you know, all the capital, all the revenue that we received from our investors and all the revenue that was generated, we were using it to build a team. So we were we were more interested in having our team being prosperous than my partner and I. So we were, you know, that was like probably one of the hardest things, but at the same time, that really helped us become who we are today. Wow. Well, hey, Anthony, thank you so much for sharing some of your journey and talking about the past and what you're bringing to Finn Park. Now, people who want to utilize your services, or they just want to know more, where do I send them to? Well, so we're in the process, and I wanted this to be live by today. We're in the process of completing our website. It is technically live, but I don't want people to go there yet, so I'm not going to share that just sure. today. Um, but to contact us, um, you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. Just direct message me. You can contact us uh, by an email. I don't know if I want to say it now. It's kind of long. <laughs> but sure. uh, I can certainly maybe post this out uh, after our show, and, and everybody can reach me there. Um, the website will be going up hopefully in the next, I would say five to seven business days. And then we could, you know, essentially start taking, you know, people in and, and, and making partnerships. I will say that this industry moves fast. This is, you know, uh, Tim, this is probably one of the best industries, as you know, right? Like people, it's all word of mouth, but people, people are so, um, what would be the word? And I don't want to take up too much spotlight here, but people yeah. are just, they're so friendly here and, and welcoming and, when I went live yesterday, I had all these texts like, hey, like you're back in. I'm so excited to do a partnership with you. So I would just tell everybody, reach out to me directly. I'll provide as much information as I can on that after the show. Very cool. All right, man. Well, here's a little goat for you. Take it easy, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Have a good one. All right. Meanwhile. What in the world? According to the Toronto even... Sun, this incident here was <laughs> captured on video. Donuts. Posted on TikTok by Florida resident Samantha Jane Guptill. What is he doing? Are they going to give him a donut? We had the cupcake bear on our last episode. This time we got the uh, donut raccoon. He's over at Dunkin' Donuts here. Seeing if the drive-thru is going to give him a Boston cream. And they are. Oh, my God. America runs on Dunkin' and Soda raccoons.
Rockets back to the forest over there. Love to see it. All right, let's talk to Thomas Funkhauser, Senior Manager of Business Development at Carrier Network. What's up, man? Any relation to Marty Funkhauser? Marty Funkhauser, no, but I, I get that quite often. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I, I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I got on my little nameplate. They were like, hey, could curb your enthusiasm. What's going on? You know, so. A lot of time but, to watch uh, curb in the Marines. Not, not much, not much. Um, I only did time in the reserves. Um, and, uh, I did that, uh, for about six years and got out, I believe like two years ago. Um, so I've been running freight while I've been in the reserves. Um, yeah, it's been a great time. So you're like, you're an air expedited now. How did you go from the Marines to air expedited over at uh, courier network? Well, so it's, it's been a kind of a track here. So, um, I, uh, after after schooling, I had um, moved down to Birmingham, Alabama, and was working with Universal Carlos. Um, I know he's been on the show a few times. Yeah. Good guy. He gave me the um, cowbell. That's right here. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I'm, I'm going to have a package coming your guys's way too with some C and W stuff. So I'm, I'm decorating. I'm putting shelves up here. It's, it's hey, going to look good. 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 Maybe we'll send you a plane. Sweet. Yeah, so. I'm looking for artifacts, like cool stuff, not like just logo, <laughs> like like pubcaps, wheels, whatever you got, smokestacks. I don't know. Things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I had um, started in the freight brokerage industry and, and had done that for about um, uh, about three years. Went from Universal to a flatbed asset company that had assets. They had brokerage, step decks and all kinds of stuff. And then I went, uh, one of the customers I was working with while I was in brokerage, I'd worked with them so much day in, day out, day and night. And eventually I just had said to them, hey, why don't I just come and, and bring my knowledge to you guys and, you know, see how I can better your business. So I went from trucking to air expedite. And then now I'm doing kind of a hybrid of both, um, still handling some of the trucking, um, the development worldwide of, of different kinds of um, of trucking sources, um, you know, I'll, when people think trucking, they, they just think 53 foot van, they think uh, flatbed, um, but there's a lot, there's a lot more to it. Um, on our side of the, the, the board here, we, we have people moving boxes with minivans. Um, we have people doing it in their personal cars um, and insured of course, but um, there's, there's plenty of other ways to move, to move freight and especially urgent material for some of our clients, you know, it's sometimes only a box or two that fits in your, in your front seat and they just needed to get it from point A to point B as quick as possible. So I used to do air and ocean freight. I used to do entries on them and I always liked the air freight better because those uh, files would be off my desk a lot quicker than the ocean ones, which would just sit there and yes. stare at you for like 35 to 45 yes. days. But what is it? What's the, what is the difference? So you come from the, 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 the trucking broker side, air and expedite. How does air expedite work and how is it different from your more traditional truckload stuff that some people may have some misconceptions about? That's a good question. Um, so traditionally, um, you know, tr trucking, you know, your you know, not not your LTL, your, your point A to point B full truckload. Um, you know, you're going to a shipper and you check in with the pickup number. They give you, you know, a BOL and you're on your way. Um, the thing is about uh, Air Expedite, it's, it depends on where you're at in the world. Um, if you're in Europe, 
Um, there's different uh, types of customs and export policies opposed to China um, and Singapore. In the U.S., there's really no export uh, you know, requirements other than if you have uh, your car goes over a certain value and then you got to file it with U.S. Customs. So um, trucking, I would say, is like a two, three step process, but the air freight process is a five, six step process. Um, and, you know, it, especially in the air expedite side, you, you may have picked up all the cargo and then midway through, they're going to say, Hey, I need this part number here. I need this part number here. And all of a sudden you had a shipment that was going from France to the United States. That's now getting strung up France to Singapore and then a partial bit of it, France to Brazil. So um, it's, it's constantly an, an, an evolving uh, world and air freight. And now that we're seeing all the uh, geopolitical economics kind of taking place after COVID and some of the um, uh, the restrictions being lifted worldwide, um, you're seeing a lot more freight moving in different ways, you know, not just by sea. You're seeing, um, you're seeing Kunanagel and CMA. You're seeing them, you know, buying their own planes up and, and trying to move freight uh, via air at a cheaper price than FedEx and UPS and DHL. Um, so it's, it's, a constantly a fun market and, and, you know, you, it's, it's, it's evolving every day. The prices are constantly changing. You're always trying to beat your competitor in some other fashion that a way that they didn't think about. Um, but yeah, that trucking, trucking is, is a, you know, a market market play. Um, well, what about that, Mark? Let's talk about it because back during the pandemic, you were seeing crazy stuff like Peloton expediting and air freighting their their heavy, you know, bikes and things. Now there's ocean mm-hmm. freight capacity back. There's more air freight capacity. How has that changed the operations of what an air expedite company like yours does? How has that changed the market? Um, so you're seeing a lot of you know, sea freight was was the way of the land, um, and it, honestly, it should be. Um, you know, if, if you're resulting to air expedite, that means that there was a failure in production earlier on. Um, there was maybe a planning issue. It could be a number of things. Or you have a customer that said, you know, I have a prototype that needs, you know, I have a deadline I have to make and it can't move by sea. Um, so back, you know, pre-COVID, you know, C, C was, was what, you know, is the cheapest and most affor- affordable economic option. Um Air freight now, um, you know, you're seeing a constant, the pendulum swinging left and right, um, you know, every quarter. And, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a big uh, capacity play. So you're seeing a lot of airlines that, you know, that reach out to us and say, Hey, you know, please book our space, please book our space. And, um, and the relationships that we're building with these airlines are, are, are amazing. Um, uh, you should see us up in JFK, you know, we'll, we'll, the airline hours they have, you know, some of them aren't open 24 seven and um, we'll have a, a, a shipment coming in on a later flight. It may have gotten delayed and, and we're taking pizza and, and, and fast food and, and cake over to these guys to, you know, to get stuff out after hours um, and, and, you know, to keep our customers up and running. You know, with air freight, you, you never know what you're going to get either. Like, you, you, sometimes it's going to be like a giant engine. Sometimes it's going to be like a couple Siberian Huskies. 
I've had to clear yeah. like the weirdest stuff through customs with with air freight. What is the yeah. biggest What is the biggest frustration you wish your customers knew when dealing with air freight? I knew when I was on that other end and dealing with clearances and one C's and all that stuff. I wish the customers <laughs> sort of understood that there was a time and a process to all this. That that's the that's the hardest part is is getting and that that's also a uh, um, split a shipments. Ah oh, man, split shipments the bane of my yeah, existence. Split shipments. <laughs> yep, uh, you know, especially when a customer's asking that they don't want to pay that they need it, but they don't like the price that they're going to pay for it. So they're like, I need something cheaper. Well, the, you're gonna there's a little bit of give and take in there. If you want something cheaper then I'm going to have to go down on a level of service with the airline and that possibly will turn into splits, like you said. And, um, you know, with the splits requires the airline to enter things in AMS a certain way. It may not get cleared properly and there's delays with the shipment as a whole. Um, but yeah, one, one of the biggest, uh, you know, struggles that we have that we pride ourselves in from a personality aspect is, um, educating your customer. Um, a lot of these, a lot of our customers are supply chain managers. They didn't, they didn't go to school for freight forwarding. They didn't, you know, they, they almost know nothing about it. Again, they just think it's moving a box from point A to point B, all the little struggles in between, you know, um, they they have to involve their customs team to answer questions and everything. So, um, you know, we get requests on the, on the daily, Hey, I need this here to here. And, and here's my timeline. And, um, and what we do is, Hey, we give you the rundown and then we kind of give you the play by play of what's going to be required within those steps and what the realistic expectation of when your freight's going to get there. So that, that, that's the biggest thing is education. And, and, and it's built uh, very strong relationships with us. People want to go with us because they know up front they're getting pressure from somebody higher up. And we're going to give them the play-by-play to take to their boss and go, here's what we can do and why. Maybe we need to come up with another plan and allocate material from another plant or another location to supplement our facility until the bigger shipment arrives. How about uh, cargo theft? Uh, Is cargo theft up, you know, economy changes? Or do you have the same issues with like double brokering we have to deal with with like inland trucking? Um. Cargo theft, I, we don't really deal with often, um, and that's also another. Uh, I mean, we, we've had we've had damaged freight and stuff, um, but that's just you know mishandling it. Air freight it touches about four or five different hands before it finally gets in the truck. So you know we we deal with some of that, but not not from the theft aspect. We do take precautions for it, anyways, um, especially between you know in the in the deserts of California. That's one of the hottest spots right outside of LA. Um, but what we do, um, to ensure, you know, the, the, uh, to avoid double brokering is again, some of the relationships that we build. Um, ever since I started in brokerage, I've taken some of the carriers and, and the dispatchers that I used, um, from day one, um, and, uh, and, and when I was at that asset-based flatbed company and brokerage as well, and I've brought them along with me. We built a relationship. They use the same guys. I see the same names. Um, and what's also nice about air freight is there's only so many international ports you can fly into in the United States. So those same guys that are domiciled right outside of the port, pretty much where their home base is, they're running the same freight over and over and over again. 
So one thing that we've stressed with our brokers is we're not playing this rate game all the time. I'm not sending out an RFQ all the time for every shipment to try to beat the best price. I'm going to kind of give it to the guy that I see on a continuous basis that's doing a good job and that's built a relationship with a carrier um, that you know they're going to utilize almost every time. They know the business. They know what to expect when to show up to the airline. They know that there's documentation you have to show up with to get the shipment recovered. Um, and in that that's also expedited a lot of our um, our freight out of the airlines is is using the same guys over again, knowing the business, building the relationship. Hey, Funkhauser, you went to Mass Maritime. I'm a mass hole myself. I I'm from the. I know. I like the hat. I like yeah. yes, of course. Found it on eBay. Thank you, one of a kind. Uh, what do they teach yeah. you over there? A lot of sophomores, right? A lot of sophomores just just about either graduated, just about to graduate. They're going to start looking at schools. They want a career in supply chain. Would you recommend Mass Maritime? Um. So, what I studied at Mass Maritime wasn't even applicable to the industry that I'm mm. in. Um, yeah. The Same one with thing me, I, but I went to art school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the one thing that I would say that mass maritime is really, really good for is, um, is the regiment. Um, you know, a lot of kids go to school and there's nothing wrong with it. They go to a normal, uh, four year school and, um, and study a bachelor's degree and have a great time. Um, the one thing about mass maritime is, is a lot of those kids sacrifice, um, uh, they, they they sacrifice some of the, the partying and some of the, you know, the, the college experience that people look forward to um, to gain the recognition of the college. So, you know, the college carries the college name carries weight throughout the maritime industry and the, the maritime business industry, the maritime transportation industry and the, and the business industries. And um, ju- just ha- it's like I wouldn't it's hard to compare it to Harvard because it's it's apples to oranges there. But, you know, having a Harvard name and then going to an employer and say, I went here is the same thing as mass maritime. You go to a maritime employer or something in some business related field and say, I went here. It's on a Forbes list of top 10 colleges in the nation. Um, and and that, that that's about it. Um, those guys over there at mass maritime um, are, are doing great things with the colleges. We actually just got a new school ship recently and they're training the cadets really well. Um, and, uh, I look forward to seeing what's up next with the school. They keep expanding. Buzzards Bay is a small place and they're, <laughs> they built that school on a very, very small peninsula and they're trying to push it out a little bit further into the town. So, yeah. We, we got casinos there now, too, uh, Sailor. So come on down. Well, before I let you go, yeah. real quick, what is the best lesson you took away from the Marines? I would say patience. Patience is, and that applies big time in the logistics industry. Um, and, and that's what I apply um, to my day-to-day is, is patience. So, um, you know, you're, you're going to get pulled in many different directions, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get stressed. You know, you hear a lot about guys in, in logistics. They get stressed. They get burnt out. Um, and it's sometimes you just gotta stop, think before you speak, and before you act, and look and analyze the situation and see what you can do better. So, and in, in the Marine Corps, that's one thing I learned. I was a I was a grunt Marine, and um, you know, if, if you're a team leader or a squad leader or, or upwards, you know, you you got people behind you that depend on you. 
and it's very important that uh, that you're making the right decisions. So pa- patience is a, is an absolute key in both personal life um, and and business. So it it, it carries on in, into both fields. Well, thank you for your service, Thomas Funkhauser. I really appreciate that. Everyone check out Courier Network, and thank you for uh, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about how your world works. I appreciate it. You have a great weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, take care, buddy. All right, elsewhere. Me and my posse are on our way to kick some <laughs> take some names here. Pull up. <laughs> go, boys. What do you do if those guys are are walking towards you at a park? I don't know. You you can drop that one there. Chick-fil-A ad. That's Casey Jenkins, owner at 828 Consulting. Casey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I like your, uh, your environment. Where are you hanging out right now? I'm actually in my living room. This is where I shoot all of my two minute topic videos. So you get to see my little dogs behind me on a painting. <laughs> well, no, you can see them even closer because I was going to ask you about these dogs. Show this picture right here. Who are these two that are, that are sitting on your, uh, have they been in Westminster yet? Who are these guys? Um, so that is Skye. She is the gray and white one there on the left. And then Enzo is the one with the little ear on the right. Um, they are definitely my little buddies. They listen to a lot of my script reads for two-minute topics, they listen to me think out loud often. So they probably know a lot more about supply chain than, than most dogs do, I would say. <laughs> oh, I would imagine. Like, I have full-on conversations with, with my dogs. I, I think a lot of people do. It wouldn't be that abnormal, too. Like, if you turned on, like, my Alexa or something and you stole the recordings, you'd, you'd probably hear some weird conversations between me and Randy Savage. You, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you have a really interesting background. You worked for Post. You worked for Turvo. You worked for Port X. You even got a weather forecasting certificate. Who, who are you, Casey? Yeah. So I took a very non-conventional route into supply chain. Always thought I was going to be a meteorologist. Went to school to do meteorology, which is why I got the weather forecasting certificate. And ended up, you know, kind of getting into the industry by chance and staying in it by choice. Um, You know, I realized pretty quickly that weather and supply chain are very similar and that they're both processes. And I just really enjoy processes. So I've tried to make career moves, um, education moves that would make me as well-rounded and as educated within the industry as possible. Um, I find it really important for myself, my field, any company that I work for, um, that, you know, I come in with experience. I come in with education. I continue to learn and evolve and improve. So. Wow. You know, legend has it, and you mentioned weather here, legend has it that Freightwave's first big viral article, the one that allowed us and and made Craig Fuller decide, oh, we can hire like more writers for the site, was a weather-related article. It's what launched uh, the site and got the brand. So all respect for weather over here. But you took this this sort of circuitous journey, and like me, you ended up in the Roach Motel of Supply Chain by accident, but then you decided you didn't want to leave for some reason. And now you started uh, 2828 Consulting. What is that? Yeah, so 828 Consulting is a execution-style consulting firm. So basically, I try to approach small to medium-sized businesses um, looking at their processes, right? You know, that market is right on the cusp of growth and needing some structure and standardization with processes and needing some, you know, framework around how they're going to grow and continue to grow. Um, So I go in, I identify any gaps, any issues. 
um, and I find ways to solve them, and then I can actually execute on them as well. Um, so they get, you know, a very personal experience with me, um, and that I'm with them from the start all the way to completion. Wow. You know, you shared a really interesting article yesterday, and it became even more interesting when I saw that your background from Post, and it was about climate and your Doritos, and like, it was sort of about climate, but it was, it, to me, it was an article about supplier risk, right? And it's something like you just mentioned there with your consulting. A lot of shippers, they don't, it's not like they have, well, they sort of do. They have veneers on a little bit sometimes. They, they you know, they see yeah. their, they see the truck is just moving boxes a lot and they see supply chain is just a means to an end where their real goal, what they really want to talk about is selling to customers and those kind of things. So it's up to us, supply chain experts, to help them. And there's a lot of risk inherent in supply chains, even something like Doritos yeah. this was talking about. And it was breaking it down by the components. You had the corn, you had sunflower oil, you had dairy, you had salt. And all of these are sort of under a sale, but by, by climate or by political fighting salt first like china for example has 22 percent of of the u.s salt talk a little bit about that the risk inherent in supply chain components and what we learned from that doritos article <laughs> yeah so actually when i first saw the article in the headline i laughed because i was like wait a second i i started getting a little bit of a panic um doritos are my favorite chips and i about hopped on a plane to head to frito-lay headquarters to give them some free supply chain consulting because I was not about to have a Dorito shortage. Um, but then when you actually looked into it, um, you know, there is a lot of risk associated with supply chain these days with as complex as our global supply chains have become. And, you know, you often don't really think about how those simple products that you just run to the grocery store to pick up or you order online or whatever the case may be, that, you know, they're going to be impacted by the environment. Um, you know, geopolitical, um, cultural, um, any of your macro level factors, and even other people's supply chains, you know, you don't actually understand how connected everything is until, you know, one industry starts to have problems, and then you find out other industries are having problems, and then it keeps trickling down from there. Um, so it's, it's definitely an interesting, uh, situation these days with supply chain, and risk management is really, a huge piece that organizations should be focused on. I mean, it's, I feel like it's one of the foundations to supply chain management as we're all coming out of the pandemic. And we learned that we really didn't have a lot of risk management strategies in place. And you can't have those in place when risk is, you know, presented or happening. You have to be able to be prepared to expect the unexpected. And so you want to have plans ahead of time to be able to pivot and be able to, you know, seek alternate suppliers, alternate raw materials, whatever the case may be, if you get into a situation where you're facing a disruption or facing stock out or, you know, some sort of, I guess, disruption within your supply chain. You know, like 13 years ago, they had this like midnight cheeseburger flavor. You know how like Doritos will put out their like sort of out there flavor sometimes? I like those. The, the barbecue one they just had out was really good, but the ketchup and mustard one, you can, you can kind of... Uh, avoid do you have, are you like a, a nacho cheese are you a cool ranch do you, do you go with the the off-label ones so nacho cheese is definitely my favorite cool ranch isn't bad though sometimes i'll do the spicy nacho cheese i think it's spicy nacho cheese ones just if i'm looking for something a little bit of a kick but i mean my go-to is definitely the nacho cheese and i know my mom can vouch for this I used to eat like bags, like family-sized bags when I was a kid because I just, I love Doritos so much. So 
yeah, shout out to Frito-Lay for giving me that addiction. <laughs> they have, so speaking of packaging, I got curious because my, my wife came home from Publix last night and um, they have the bags, but now, you know, like Pringles containers, like the, the kind yeah. you stick your hand into, those cylinders, they now have Doritos Minis in those containers. And I was curious, which one is easier to ship, do you think? The bags of Doritos or are Ooh. those like Pringle containers much better? Honestly, that's a great question. I would say, in, in my opinion, and it depends on how they're packaged, right, and how they're loaded onto the pallet, but I would say probably the Pringles cans probably have less risk of being crushed, um, where I feel like with the bags, you know, there's air in there that can cause them to pop, um, you know, if they're, like, damaged, if the pallet gets damaged in transit, um, but that's actually a good question. I, I, I'm not really sure. I think maybe we should do a poll on that. I think so. Yeah, we got to we got to get someone from from Frito Lay on here to uh, to check that out. Well, one of your concepts and what actually brought you on my radar was you started doing and and I've always it's it's always been like in my brain too is how do we explain supply chain? How do we make it easy? How do we get people to understand concepts? Then they can go and learn more. Like this show, like I don't sit right. here and I don't I don't sit here for ninety minutes explaining some concept and boring. You can go listen to a webinar for that. But how do I give you like two minutes to get you interested in this so you go in and find more? This is this has been your new sort of series. So I was going to challenge you explain a topic to us in two minutes or less <laughs> yeah so um i actually i did come up with a great topic um it might go over two minutes just slightly um usually though i do two to three minute long videos because these topics are so broad that it is hard to keep it within two minutes a lot of times that's why i have an overarching topic and then i break it down further with um you know individual episodes within it um, but there's been a lot of news recently on the topic of lean methodology and just-in-time manufacturing. And if those concepts are actually applicable anymore within this transforming supply chain landscape. And one of the articles I saw last week that caught my attention related to this, since I have been doing this as a series um, in my most recent two-minute topics, was uh, Toyota. And, you know, they're obviously the one of the grandfathers of lean methodology and they're potentially now reevaluating their processes um, to see if lean methodology is still going to fit. Um, so I thought that would be a great topic. So I guess your live on-air version of two-minute topic starts now. Um, much like everything within supply chain, you know, methods, theories, concepts, they all have to evolve as the landscape begins to change and continues to change. And New ways are going to emerge, but at the end of the day, the foundational concepts and principles and methodologies, methodologies will remain because those are what's powering us to kind of change the way we're doing things, right? So the same can be said with lean methodology. Uh, lean principles provide a data-driven and structured approach to continuous improvement to allow for companies to actually enhance value through a customer-centric focus and reduction of waste. But coming out of the pandemic, I feel like customer-centric can mean a lot of different things. And if companies want to, you know, adhere to those customer desires, they have to be strategic or else they're going to end up creating waste by acting too quickly. So how can lean methodology really fit into this uncertain, disruption-ridden, and demanding supply chain? Well, number one, I would say technology plus lean, right? So the foundational concepts of lean, value and waste, they're the primary drivers, and you want to reduce waste while enhancing value. So technology comes into play with this as technology can execute a lot of processes much faster than humans can. 
Um, and that gives the ability for companies to have their resources focus on those more value add activities. So for example, a hot topic recently has been automation, right? Well, one of the things that I've been kind of preaching is companies can automate those backstage or back end behind the scenes processes to where their resources can then focus on those more front facing customer value adding activities to continue to foster that more personable and value driven customer experience. Hey. Um, number, yeah, go ahead. Oh, see, I was just going to say, you've already done an amazing job. You, 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 you've kind of nailed it. I'm surprised. People don't well, know. This is a live show. She has, there's no editing here. Uh, she's got to go. She's, she's been doing us off the dome. <laughs> I am. I, I will say I do have a kind of written out here to make sure I stay on topic. Sure. Because honestly, these videos, you could sit and talk about these for hours. These concepts are so broad and just so in-depth. Um, but I was going to say number two, you know, just in time can still work. Um, and the reason I say this is because there's a lot of manufacturing processes and methods that can be utilized to still keep inventories low and have deliveries delivered just in time. And one that comes to mind is mass customization. Um, and then lastly, you know, your organizational strategy plus lean. Having that focused direction where, you know, the company is headed from an overall organizational perspective will keep your process improvement initiatives very directional and making sure that your company, your improvements and everything that you're doing are headed all towards the same end goal, right? <laughs> excellent, excellent job. A little cowbell for all of that. Now, we have a segment we got to get to here. It's a thing I like to call good news, bad news. Hit the bumper. We're going to look at some crazy videos of the week, Casey, before I let you go. All right, good news. The lane looks wide open. Bad news, you just went full Dukes of Hazard. Have you seen this clip? It's been everywhere. Now, this is actually from a week ago. Yahoo News reports the body cam footage from a Louds County Sheriff's officer shows his car approaching the tow truck on Highway 84 at speed and then going airborne a few dozen meters. Now, there's a 21-year-old woman from Tallahassee, Florida in there, but amazingly, they survived that crash. You ever let those uh, intrusive thoughts get in your head, Casey, when you're driving down the highway? <laughs> um, I can't say that I've ever tried to approach a tow truck and ramp it, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is a challenge now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just leans in. I mean, it, lo it, it looked kind of like how they do it on TV. I was most impressed by that. I mean, I'm surprised that honestly, it, it kind of looks like they drove away after too. So like, or maybe, no, they flipped over and rolled. Yeah, they, Just no, kidding. They, they, I was yeah. going to say, if they drove away from that, I mean, kudos to the car manufacturer for the, uh, I guess, the axles and suspension, because that would be pretty impressive. <laughs> that would be pretty impressive. Well, here's another one for you. Good news, you love trucking, but bad news, you can't afford a truck. What do you think of these guys' method? We need our own. <laughs> you need your own flutist when you're walking through the airport doing your rolling luggage. You know what, though? I mean, honestly, 15 out of 10 for creativity. Like, I would have never been able to think of that, you know? So I'd say 15 out of 10 on that one for creativity. <laughs> I know. I watch stuff like that, and I'm like, how is TikTok dangerous? This, this stuff keeps, keeps some of us sane once in a while. So you have dogs. Now, if you were a truck driver, do you think you'd bring your dogs on the road with you? 
Oh, absolutely. They're like my little companions. I mean, I take them everywhere as it is. So, of course, I would. I think it would be great. Oh, do you have like little purses for them and stuff that they can stick their like heads out of? No, no purses. Um, but they do have like a giant bed in my car. Um, so that way they have like a area to sit in in the back. Um, but no purses. I make them walk. I don't, <laughs> I don't spoil them that much. They're spoiled, but not that much. <laughs> well, how would you feel about a pair of parrots? You know, if you, if, if your two doggies and so was, uh, was now a, uh, a macaw, take a look at this video right here. My buddy Kevin Huang was out in a truck stop recently and he came across this scene. And if, if you notice them, look closely at that bird. It's a polite pot. It's potty train because it turns and it sticks its butt outside the window to actually, you know, do its business. But check this out. Whoa. Honestly, that's kind of amazing. Um, although parrots, you know, I don't know if I'd want them talking in the background of like meetings or anything like that. The great thing about dogs is they just kind of sit in the back of my meetings, but they can't say anything. I don't know if I'd necessarily want like a parrot to repeat some of the things I've said. So, <laughs> Oh, no. Like, so I went, there's this place called like Angel Animal Rescue Center in uh in JP in Massachusetts. And there was a bird there that was, it was like an offensive bird. Like this is, uh, you couldn't take it to work. You wouldn't want to hear its conversations. This bird was very discriminatory towards stuff. Uh, and they live like 75 years. You get a parrot, you have to like will it to somebody. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, how do you, That's how do you, insane. Casey, how do you feel? Do you have like a Tesla? Do you have full self-drive? How do you feel about self-driving cars? And how do you feel about this person right here? Take a look at this video. Look, they're just leaning back. He's watching some video from the back passenger seat, and he's letting the car go. And if you look at his steering wheel, he's got a counterweight. He's using, a, like, a COVID mask tied to a water bottle as a counterweight to keep the okay, car. Okay, so I would, say, I would say, again, this is, this is kind of creative. In terms of safety, um, questionable with safety. <laughs> but, um, yeah, especially in the rain. But, I mean, you know, honestly, the self-driving thing, I, I don't personally have a self-driving vehicle. Um, so I can't really speak to on if like this, I would feel comfortable doing this myself. Um, but you know, I do have one that has that adaptive cruise, which is yeah. kind of nice, that you is know, handy. I, and it does, it does help you to kind of, I don't want to say disconnect, that's the wrong word. Um, but you know, it kind of helps you not be so stressed with having to pay attention to, you know, fluctuating speeds and stuff. So that's great. But I don't know if I'd ever lay down and take a nap. <laughs> well, what's annoying to like, I was, I was driving home with a heavy box yesterday and my car would not shut up because the seatbelt sensor was going off, but I guess oh, you yeah. can drive around with just like the simplest of uh, mask technology. Well, here's one last one for you. Do you, do you listen to like self-help books at all? Let's take a look at this guy. He's coming in hot. Make sure the sound's up on this. He's coming in hot. Look at this. He almost killed Creams, this guy. Daughter comes out. Are you okay? But listen to this when the guy opens the door to his car. Listen to what he's listening to. Being impeccable is not going against yourself. When you are impeccable, you take responsibility for your actions. Well, and he is, you know, he didn't just back up and drive off. He was impeccable. He got out of the, he almost killed this guy, but he still got out of the car oh and made God. sure he was, he was okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, those types of situations where it's like these videos come about and it's like perfect timing of something like that, right? You know, where they're talking about, you know, taking responsibility and then doing something of that nature. So <laughs> Casey, it is time to go enjoy the weekend. We are out of time, but you were the GOAT guest today. Appreciate it. Go check out, um, where are we going to? We're sending it over to 
What is your company name? It's it's 828 Consulting. I was about to say 288. It's 828 Consulting. Casey Jenkins, go check her out. You have an amazing weekend. You go find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Listen to the Sky the Show wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you want us on video, Freight Waves TV app or our YouTube. Take care and don't be a stranger.